Voices of District 303 is a periodic podcast that celebrates the people and programs of St. Charles, Illinois Community Unit School District 303. And I'm Dr. Jason Pearson, Superintendent of Schools, and I have the honor of being your host today. One of the things that has been exciting for me as we have started to have these conversations across our school district is just some of the um, exemplary people that we have in our schools, our staff members, some of our students, many of our families and community members that really make our, our community, our learning community, a great place. And today's guest is no exception to that. I am excited to welcome Juanita Grafinski. Juanita is our uh, nurse coordinator, our health services coordinator um, in District 303. And we know that right now in the current climate, as we navigate this COVID-19 pandemic and all of the things that it has um, come to mean and how it's impacted our schools today has really been um, a challenge and has allowed um, our nurses and, and staff members to really begin to understand what it takes to have school in a pandemic. And so it's going to be very interesting to hear from Juanita today. And I'm, I'm so glad that she was able to join us. Juanita, I'm going to ask that you begin by maybe introducing yourself and then talk a little bit about like where you are now in our district and how long you've worked here. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I've worked in uh, school district 303 for about 20 years. And I started out by accompanying a student who had high needs on a school bus back and forth to school. I had no idea uh, what all happened in schools with regard to healthcare. And that year opened my eyes and opened my heart to wanna to be a school nurse. And 20 years later, I'm here as a certified school nurse I've earned a few master's degrees along the way because um, I love the idea of learning and growing. And now I have the honor of leading the school nurses in this district as we have navigated healthcare along the way, but through the pandemic as well. Well, and you know, you mentioned uh, your background and some of your expertise. I think it's important to kind of recognize um, how much training many of our school nurses bring to uh, to our schools and what's required to be a school nurse. Would you talk a little bit about kind of the, the background of our school nurses and kind of what some of those uh, credentials are that uh, you have and many of our nurses have across the district? Sure. School nurses are typically work in other settings prior to coming to, to school as a, as a setting for their practice. Uh, we're baccalaureately prepared, and most of us have master's degrees in nursing. So that certainly underscores the necessity for a degree in, in science and advanced learning in nursing. I personally have gone on to get a degree in education as well, and in public policy, because schools blend all of those three things together. And so our school nurses are uh, certified not only in healthcare, but also as educators. So our certified school nurses can provide education in the school setting. They can provide curriculum. They can provide um, actual lesson plans and so forth. And we do some of that, not as much as in some other areas, but we do provide growth and development classes, for example. 
Well, and I think I mentioned early on that, you know, you um, have been in the district for a while and we are so fortunate to have you here. One of the things that I think um, we're most proud of is not only your accomplishments as a school nurse and, and your background and training, but your network um, across the nation and across the country. Can you talk a little bit about what you just finished doing um, with Illinois and then maybe some of your connections with some of our national groups as well? Right. I was very involved in the Illinois Association of School Nurses. I started that about 15 years ago and became a committee member, and that led to another membership and so forth. And I was uh, elected as president of the Illinois Association of School Nurses, and that was a four-year term as president-elect and then as a president. And that just opened so many doors for me as a school nurse, uh, both locally throughout the state and nationally. Uh, so I have had the opportunity to network and meet nurses across the country. And of course the pandemic just escalated that need for us to, uh, to meet together in many forums so that we could best meet the needs of our students as we came back into the school setting. Well, and I think one of the things that's great about those connections and networks across the state and across the country is that you're able to bring best practice back to our district to help our students and our families. But in addition to that, I also feel like you're able to contribute and add so much to what's happening, you know, both on the state and national level. Um, I just wanted to note that um, in this month's January 2021's publication of School Nurse, which is the National Association of School Nursing publication, um, you actually contributed to an article um, that was a part of that publication called Show Me the Evidence, COVID-19 and School Nursing in the 21st Century. I don't know how you've had time in light of all that's been going on in our schools to write an article and contribute to a national publication, but I was hoping that one of the things you could talk about with us today is kind of how that came about and what were some of the things that you were able to highlight along with your co-writers in this article about school nursing in the 21st century under the context of COVID-19? Sure. Well, I was really pleased when I saw that the article was published because I, I felt like it really was um, a symbol of how nurses use evidence and in their practice, but also how they cooperate and how they learn from one another. So evidence-based practice sounds, you know, very intense, right? But it really is just using information from research and scientific evidence and school nurse doc documentation to come away with best practices, which underlies all our actions. But this summer we found ourselves in a quandary because COVID-19 had hit and we were going back to school and there was no playbook for how to get back there. So we began to network. All summer long, I participated in a number of forums, be they national forums or citywide forums on best practice. What did we know and how could we apply it in the school setting to keep our staff and our students safe? In the process, I got to know some of the nurses I co-wrote this with, and they were from diverse areas from the Northeast quarter of the country, et cetera. And we looked at practice together and we began to write. We began to write uh, guidelines. We began to write uh, ways that we could track COVID-19, how we could apply what we already knew with regard to mitigation strategies and make it come alive so that when nurses got back into school, we would have common ways of dealing with this. That was important, not only for 
making sure we kept our students and staff safe, but we needed common ground data points so that we could look at what we did and learn if we needed to change it or how, how well it worked. So we needed some commonalities, not just in the state, but across the country, because this would lead to uh, practices being implemented nationally, which is important. It should look the same uh, because the virus doesn't know whether it was in Illinois or whether it was in Connecticut. So how were we going to do that? So this article just provided nurses with a toolbox, so to speak, of how to do that, how to provide your staff with evidence, and it underscored the importance of cooperating and collaborating and working together. So it used that framework of nursing, which we've always used in schools to provide good care. So it was adapted for COVID-19, but it underscored the premise that evidence-based practice is, is uh, critical for us throughout our care, which whatever we're dealing with. What would you say that school nurses have learned about providing care in the school setting be, as a result of the pandemic, as we think about kind of what we've navigated over the past several months um, in our schools? Well, even though COVID-19 has taken center stage, uh, other health concerns have not gone away. So I think what we've learned to do is to continue to provide the care that we always provided, but adapt it to the mitigation strategies that we have in place. So our students that have diabetes, our students that have chronic conditions such as arthritis or anxiety or other emergency type situations, we still care for them. We still deliver medication. We still do our screenings. That is all important, but we just had to learn to do that while we were also managing the infectious disease of COVID and also learning how to mitigate or to prevent that from occurring in our in our offices. We had to reorganize our offices. We had to look at new ways to provide screenings. We had to look at uh, methods for providing more documentation and different documentation, but we learned how to draw on what we already knew, reinvent some of the ways we did things, and then go back to making sure that we were keeping students safe, making sure we're keeping students in school, because that is our, our ultimate goal is to provide students, all students with access to their curriculum. You know, as a district, with the exception of a few weeks when we took a pause because of a recommendation from the health department, we've been providing in-person school at at least one or two of our levels for um, the entire school year since August. Uh, um, how do you think it's going as far as the, the health and safety protocols that we've put in place? Do you feel like we're seeing success with that? And, and how is that working in the school setting? Well, I'll go back to my article that I wrote um, with my colleagues. So show me the evidence. In other words, what does the data tell us? The data tell, tells us that the positivity rate in our schools, which is a measure of transmission, is extremely low. It's lower than in other settings. That, of course, would highlight for us or prove to, to us that what we're doing is the right thing to do. It's safe and we're able to manage our students in a, in a safe manner, even though there's a pandemic going around us. So we looked at those, looked at the data and that certainly underscored that we were doing the right things. I also looked at the students. Our students are engaged. They're happy to be here. And surprisingly, and I'll underscore that too, 
they are very compliant when in school with our mitigation strategies. I thought that I work in the middle school at Redling and I thought, oh, it's gonna to be tough to make certain kids keep masks on. It's gonna be hard to keep them distance. But I honestly have to say that they have been just stellar in, in doing the right things and following the rules and being good sports about it. They recognize that these things are important to keep them safe. And we've underscored with them that it is really important for their community to do these things that they're heroes in sense, they're keeping their communities vital and open. And so all that's fallen into place. So I think we look to our data, we look to our students, and we look to how engaged they are in the learning. You know, I think so many people want kids to be in school as much as possible. And that's something that I know we share as educators. And I know parents in our community really want students back in school as much as possible. And one would make could make an argument that, you know, look, we're not having school based transmission. So we should just go back to having regular school uh, because we're not having any school based transmission or the rate is very low. And so children are not. Um, you know, necessarily transmitting the virus at school. On the other hand, I think we could make an argument that one of the reasons that we're not seeing school-based transmission is because of the mitigation strategies that we have in place and the, the social distancing and, and all of the, the procedures and safety measures that we, that we have and, and having students wear masks and wash their hands. What would you say, as you kind of reflect on what you're seeing, would, would you uh, say that it's, it's because of these measures that we're seeing success or, or would, you, would you say that, you know, maybe we should just let everyone come back to school? Well, we know, once again, looking at data, we know that our transmissions are in households. We have seen that. Uh, so we have that evidence, that data to show that when individuals are in close contact with one another, as you would be in a home setting, that transmission is high or higher. And it's high enough to uh, create uh, rates of transmission that would be difficult to manage in the school setting. So if we transfer that knowledge to school, we know that we can't just go back to close quarters. We can't have kids huddled together. We, in sports, perhaps, or in groups where they're doing learning, we have to reinvent some of the ways we're providing education and interacting with one another so that we maintain our distance, because that has been critical in keeping our rates of transmission low in school. So I think we can take two settings and compare them and come away with really clear guidelines for what should be happening right now. You know, it's mid-January here now in Illinois, and this is a time of year when we typically see high rates of other infectious disease transmission, things like seasonal flu, um, and those kinds of, of things are impacting our schools on a typical basis. Have you noticed anything different this year related to some of those other kind of typical seasonal um, infections or communicable diseases that we typically see um, in, in, in the winter? Uh, would you say the rates are lower or higher and is there anything we could attribute that to? Well, I look to this, the county's data. The county data uh, we have always contributed to in schools. We provide influenza-like illness data tracking and have done that since H1N1, our last pandemic. So that's a good 11 years that we've been experienced in doing this. And we follow that data point and we know that flu and other types of infections remain moderately high in, in the county 
but we're not seeing as much of that in the school setting right now. So we can contribute that to really heightened hygiene measures, or we can contribute it to the fact that parents are being very cooperative with us in keeping their students home when ill and our symptom checker certainly provides guidelines on that. But I think what we've learned in this is that managing illnesses in the way that we've managed them with COVID. And by that, I mean, making sure that you keep your children home when they're ill, uh, making sure they don't come back too soon, uh, keeping our hands clean, um, maintaining our distance when ill, because that is a good application, whether it's COVID or whether it's flu, all are important in reducing illnesses in, in community settings such as schools. So those are good things to take forward. Not saying they're gonna look the same moving forward. It's not gonna be quite as uh, stringent or severe, but we've learned a lot from this. We've learned what works and I, we should capitalize on that moving forward. So um, we're gonna switch gears here just a little bit because clearly this has been a very different year for um, our nurses and for our schools and for our families. But one of the questions that I have for you and, and one thing that I've been wondering about is how have you seen kind of the role of school nursing change over the last uh, several years as you've been in, in your role of leading our nurses across the district? Well, contemporary school nurses have recognized that there is an increased need to provide what we call culturally competent care. So what does that mean? It, it means going beyond just caring for people and respecting people. It's incorporating elements of socioeconomics, of culture, religion, language, even dietary practices in what we do. We have a more diverse society than ever and we need to react to that. It ensures it is important because it ensures equitable access to healthcare for all of our students. And it assists us in connecting students to the resources they need in the community. So we've heightened our awareness for this need for this competence and made sure that when we're doing screenings, we're looking at nutrition and physical activity, dental hygiene and health screenings. We know they're integral to health and well-being. And in some ways, in some of the suburban areas, We've always assumed that people had that, that it was just a given, but we know it's not just a given. And so we really need to work hard to make sure that every member of our school, school community has access to such care and to just well-being, things that help them to be better learners in the school setting and better members of the community. So that's what we're working for now is trying to, to uh, look at ways we've our tools and so forth to measure that better and to make sure that we can deliver that type of care. One of the things that we believe in District 303 is that we are partners with parents. And so as we think about, you know, partnering with parents in the education of their children, as it relates to health services or school nursing, what would you say to parents? How could they partner with us in this particular area as you think about their partnership with our nurses and our health services? Well, I always describe school nurses as being the bridge between healthcare and education. They fill that gap. And the best way to be that bridge or to offer that walkway for parents is to encourage them to just 
reach out to us. We have services that we can provide to their students if they're struggling. Um, every time I talk to a parent, I learn a little something more about their student and what their needs may be. And I can come up with uh, ways that we can better accommodate for them. So these things certainly are ways that we can bridge together and uh, gain some trust with each other. One of the hardest things I've done uh, this year as a school nurse has been uh, telling parents, you can't bring your school, your child to school today because of the guidelines, or I um, have to quarantine certain students on a team because of the guidelines. Those weren't popular decisions, but um, learning, learning why we're doing what we're doing and reaching out together will certainly help us to get through the pandemic and also make good decisions in the future. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come and talk with us about your article and about how you're helping lead our school district during the pandemic. I'm appreciative of all that you're doing. I know that beyond our own district, that other districts across the county and the state look to you for leadership. And I want to thank you as superintendent for everything that you're doing for our district and for our families. Um, we're going to take the article that you wrote and put it in our show notes so that people who are accessing our podcast today will have the opportunity to read the full article and see some of the things that you and the other nurses um, highlighted as part of your, your article. And um, I wish you the best as you continue to help us move through this. And hopefully very soon, we're going to return to our new normal and be outside of the kind of pandemic school that we're currently offering and, and back to what would be a more typical environment for our students and staff. Well, thank you for having me. And I would be remiss without saying thank you to each nurse that works in our district. Uh, they've provided expert care. They've been supportive of one another. And I couldn't be prouder to be a part of that group of people. So thank you. <laughs>